Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, Tyler A. Chase, is an auteur filmmaker who founded Lorage Productions while attending New York NYU Film School, where she created two short narrative films that screened at the Tribeca Screening Room and New York International Independent Film Festival. Tyler works as a commercial FAA Part 107 certified SUAS pilot cinematographer with six years of experience and more than 100 hours of flight time. Her experience as a director and DP in her own works adds to the qualifications needed to deliver amazing footage as a drone pilot cinematographer. In 2013, Tyler completed the award-winning short narrative psychodrama Animal Crackers. In 2018, she completed the award-winning short documentary Sweet Soul in Exile. In 2020, she completed the award-winning feature documentary A Castle in Brooklyn, King Arthur. Her narrator was Golden Globe Award winner Brian Cox. More can be learned about Tyler's FAA Certified Drone Imagery Services for independent films and works from her website, lorage.com. And Carol, I understand Tyler applied for your Roy Dean grant and also with huge accolades. Absolutely, Claire. Thank you so much. Tyler has a brilliant film, and she's now a donor to our film grant, and that's why we want to learn more about her drone services. So thank you, Tyler, for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's really important for all of us to meet an entrepreneur who has a company run by women who are doing highly technical drone work. So tell us how you started this business. Well, I'm a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, and as you know, uh, money is pretty scarce at times, and you want to have very good production quality. When I was doing A Castle in Brooklyn, King Arthur, um, in 2017, I wanted to have an aerial shot, and I tried to hire somebody, and at that time, drones weren't that popular, or there was nobody around in New York at least, and the person I finally did asked to do it, just didn't show up, and this happened two or three times. And so I was so aggravated, I said, I'll just get a drone myself, and I did. And, of course, you know, a whole can of worms opened in front of me. (laughs) I was like, this is not a toy, you know. Um, And, you know, it was was really complicated. Um, I mean, I I, um, really didn't expect all what uh, it entailed, to do that particular shot. And I finally did it, and I had to get my Part 107, which is um, FAA certification, 
so that you can do commercial work and so that you don't get fined. So if you're a recreational drone flyer pilot um, and you want to, say, take something of your kid and you post it online and and it's supposed to be something for fun, but it turns into something that is self-promoting or that is of commercial value, you can be fined by the FAA. So that's wow. Yeah so, yes. that's one of the, yeah, yeah, so that's one of the benefits of having your license, but the license is not easy. I had to study, I think it, it took me weeks having to know your air charts and your, um, you know, what a TFR is, what, a, what, a, what about NOTAMs, the weather, the airports, uh, sectional charts, state or national parks, local rules, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there's many rules. And then you take your test, and every two years you have to renew your test. So it's pretty strict, and um, it's. But I like doing it. I enjoy it too. After you know, after these years, and it's helped me with my own work. And I've been working with it uh, mostly for uh, independent people and mm-hmm. enjoying it. And sometimes I did for a construction person too because they wanted to see the top of the building to see if there was anything unsafe on the top of the building. So instead Mm -hmm. of sending a person up there, you send a drone, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, So there's there's many other functions for drones. There's some things I will not do with my drone um, because Uh it doesn't doesn't feel good to me, so I just don't do them. Like if it's something to do with with spraying crops with with, – with kinds of spray that can hurt people. And, you know, I'm kind of aware of, of the ecology, so I'm, you know, I choose to, to work mostly with film people and artistic right. endeavors. Artistic endeavors. Well, share some experiences about with the drone shots from the work you've done. Um, hmm. Let me see. What do you want to know? Um, well, how, how in, in effect, when someone comes to you with a film, uh, you do you read the script, or how does that work? Well, when somebody comes to me, they usually have an idea of what they want. They'll say, I need to have an aerial shot of that bridge over there. I want to see, like, the people are walking on the beach what, from their point of view, but then do an aerial shot, or sometimes, you know, it, it's just, or the circling of of a landmark, um, something to do with a car is running and you're you know you're seeing them from above. There's many things, but they usually they have to actually tell me what they want because I just can't go running amok with my drone <laughs> trying to read a whole script. Um, that would be another matter, <laughs> I think. So they usually come and they they, they know what they're doing. Um, we had a, a client, and it was for I think it was a couple of years ago, um, the Fifth Borough, and they wanted some shots of their actors walking along the beach toward a bridge, um, somebody getting out of a car, stuff like that. But it, it looks very impressive when you're using aerial footage. It brings up the production value. Incredibly. That's why in every film you see, almost without exception now, you'll see, you know, drone footage. Yes. And they used to and be, imagine before, they used to use, you know, hel- helicopters and, and airplanes, and it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars just for one shot. 
Exactly. You're right. Well, <clears throat> how many people do you have on your team? I have three people that I work with. Uh, they are the visual observers, and you have to have a visual observer if you're going to be a safe drone pilot, meaning that somebody is there to keep things within line of sight. They have to have the drone within line of sight. That's a rule unless you have a waiver for that. I can do that, but I really do feel safer with a visual observer because I'm looking at the control. Uh, I'm actually adjusting the camera or I'm seeing what it looks like, so I can't always be spotting the drone. It's moving along. So that's why we have that. So those people on my team are very well trained. One of them is going for her pilot license this summer, and so we'll have another um, certified person. Good. That's important to know. And, but what do you think sets your company and your drone image apart from other companies? My background. Um, uh-huh. Oh, you're an actress, right, well, as well? Well, I was a director. I'm a film director. I, am, I was a theater director for years. I am a cinematographer. I'm a photographer. So when I do an aerial shot, I mean, it's very nice. You get your drone, you try to put it on automatic, and you set it free. Well, guess what? If you want to have something of theatrical quality and you don't know what you're doing, you're wasting your time. And it's for what reason? Whereas if you have somebody who has an eye for photography and and they can understand your vision because they themselves are, you know, working in film, and try to suggest things and, or, you know, try to bring something to the table instead of just a drone operator who puts on their camera and goes automatic. Well, there's a big difference in the quality. And you don't go automatic. You stay right with it and do your own settings? Yes, yes. The cameras we have on the drones require your own settings. Um, we have a, um Evo Hotel 2 Pro. I'm sorry, Hotel Evo 2 Pro. Sorry, I go backwards today. Um, and it's a monster of a drone. Uh, we have um, a DJI, DJI Air 2S, which is a smaller drone, and a DJI Phantom 4 Pro. Um, so we have three drones. If one doesn't work out, we have something to back it up. It sometimes oh, that's happens. Fantastic. Well, you end up that you're going to a job and something happens and, and the people are waiting for you. You have to have something to back you up. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, tell us about your prices. Do you have a sliding scale for independent filmmakers? Well, I do, and I have a good percentage off for people who are um, dealing with from from the heart productions, first of all. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. And there is a sliding scale depending on the budget, what the job is, um, what the purpose of the footage is. Of course, this is photography. I'm not going to um, do drone photography for somebody who intends to sell that to somebody else. You understand? So there's, it has to be for that project. Um, it's it's very meticulous. It's very easy. And we're easy to work with, so we can go from fifteen hundred all the way up to five grand, which is not expensive okay. if you're thinking of you know what we do and the what what it takes to do it. For a drone shot, 
for example, we just did one up in the People's State Park. Um, that's in Connecticut. We had to get a waiver from, or permission, I'm sorry, a permit from the Parks Department, a state park. Yes. And that was kind of complicated, but we got it because of our experience very quickly. And you have to follow their rules. You have to have a certain insurance. And there's a lot to to um, to go through. But we also had to have three days leeway. Why? Because you're you don't know what the weather's going to be. Exactly. Right. So say you're doing so a job. You know, you you tell the person, well, okay, I'll be there on such and such a day and such a time. And then you have a wind that's thirty degree gust, thirty thirty mile an hour gust of wind. That's you know. That's a little hard to work with, and it's impossible to work with, actually, um, if you're doing cinematography. So those are some of the complications that can occur, and you have to understand that when you're working with a drone pilot, they have to follow rules, and they have to watch out for their very expensive drones. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, tell us, uh, when is the footage ready to edit when it's delivered? It, yes. Well, we can do it in, I think it's called V-Log, and that's like a kind of flat image, and that's very good for post-production. If somebody wants to do their own coloring and, and stuff like that, some filmmakers prefer that. We can shoot in 4K. We can shoot all the way up to 6K. Um, there's a lot of things we can do, and we deliver it in the best quality, and they stick it on their timeline, and it works out. But they tell you what you know, uh, uh, the editor usually gets involved and they'll say what they require. And if they want something edited, that's another deal. Like if somebody wants something edited before I deliver it, that's another, you know, that's another thing. But usually... But that's possible. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. So what is the turnaround time normally? It can be from... With a buyout, it could be like right away where they get the card right out of the drone to three days, and if it's something with editing, to a week. Okay. And so are your terms similar to a director of photography? It is. Um, directors of photography are hired for that. You know, they're, they're, not, they're independent contractors, but they're working with that film exclusively or usually or, you know, they're, they have a quit release or, you know, the copyright issues are, are different. Our thing, what we worry about sometimes is if we're doing drone photography, uh, we just want to make sure that it stays only for that project. Um, mm-hmm. We've had incidents with one of our colleagues. They did some beautiful cinematography for somebody and then, found out that that was sold to somebody else or licensed to somebody else and the person was making money off it. So you don't want to have those kind of nasty incidents. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty in perpetuity license. It's theirs. It's for their project. And that's it. Right. Well, your website says we can provide you with beautiful aerial footage to enhance the production quality of any independent movie or music video. So tell us about this. We had a music video person come to us, and we had to do something near Coney Island. And 
it was funny because they didn't turn up to direct or tell their their people what to do and we were kind of far away filming these people on a beach and but they didn't turn up and they sent me a shot list <laughs> so good thing, good thing i understood what they were talking about <laughs> Right, and I, you know, so they sent. You can do it that way. You can send a shot list. Um, usually, people, the director comes with you. So the reason I'm talking about that music video is the director usually always is with you when you're flying. They always can look over your shoulder, as long as they don't disturb you when you're actually flying, because you can't talk to the pilot. It's it's kind of you know not a good thing to do, but you can mm-hmm. certainly. You know, a certainly pause the drone, what now, and you can, you know, discuss, and they see what's going on, and you can, you can actually have a monitor attached so they can see through that, too. Um, so the same, same thing with music videos or independent film. Same kind of process, actually. Okay. So tell us how a person would hire you. For example, people come to you with uh, an idea, and then you tell them what uh, you help them pick the shots to use? Sure, I can do that. And uh, they contact us through our website, um, or they can email us at droneimagery at com. And we simply, it's very easy. We just chat with them um, and give them a free estimate and discuss it, and they pay half up front and half after the delivery is made, and that's it. And, of course, we allow for, uh, you know, we have to allow for weather, as I said before, and if there's waivers and things like that, so that has to be discussed. It depends where the shots are going to be. Um, You might need authorization or lock or waivers, so that's, you know, there's there's a lot involved. That's why a lot of independent filmmakers think, oh, I'll just do this over here. Well, (laughs) it's not that easy. No, it sounds very complicated. So um, what do you think are some of the best shots that you've done? Can you share that with us? I like the shots I did for a castle in Brooklyn, King Arthur a lot. And I like the ones I did for um, Always Here because I had to fly through the woods, through a wooded area um, with a small drone. And wow. it took a- yeah, it was difficult. Um, we didn't have any accidents. Uh, in fact, I've never had anything. Uh, none of my drones has outright broken, or nor have I had flyaways or any kind of things like that. So it took a lot of time, actually, to set it up, make sure the route is not, there's no branches, how high are the branches. And it was it was intricate. So I really liked it. I liked doing it. It was it was a challenge. It was a big challenge to go through the woods. And I just did it again in the people's forest because we were filming an ancient soapstone quarry and the cliff that Yale had um, done some archaeological digs at that leads to the quarry. And that was through the woods. And uh, that took us about three hours to get what we wanted. And how high were you on these shots? Were you waist high or are the average man's height? Uh, up and down, depending on where the trees were located and what we wanted. If we wanted to do fly over, yeah, mostly they were over the objects, but they were looking horizontally 
at the cliff, for instance, you're looking at the cliff, but then you're looking down at the quarry. So the height varied, and that was another thing we had to figure out before doing it. And it was cold so, out. <laughs> great. I have, yeah, we haven't even talked about the weather and how you yeah, have to adjust for that. that. That's really a party. <laughs> Right. Well, what do you think? Should filmmakers go through all of this process to study and pass the pilot's test to get their drone shots or just hire somebody? What do you think? Well, if they, for instance, would they hire a DP or go get the camera and try to do it themselves? Right? I mean, you can get yourself a red camera, too. It doesn't mean you can operate it like a DP, someone who's trained, right? I mean, people can do what they want, of course, and if they have that kind of of, uh, time and they're doing kind of work where they they didn't have a lot of funding or they want certain shots and they want to dedicate a hell of a lot of time and then purchasing the drone, which is well over $3,000 plus all the accessories and the batteries, you know, it's quite an investment. And the insurance when you're flying and all that, then, of course, you know, um, they would have to take, even for recreational, you have to take a test. Now it's called the trust test. But then they would have to get their um, Part 107 certification if they wanted to use any footage for their films. Wow. That's really uh, getting in under government control. So. Um, it would probably be cheaper just to keep going and focus on the film and hire someone to do it. Yeah, especially now they've got a lot of more rules, and now um, we're a little concerned with some of the ones where they want remote ID because even people walking along with their cell phones can see where you're located. Uh-huh. So a lot of a lot of us didn't think that was a very good idea. Because, you know, people sometimes disturb you when you're flying. That's another reason why you have to have a few people around you to mitigate any kind of disturbance to the pilot. Um, But, you know, if you're – people could be dishonest and hurt you. So a lot of us are worried about that particular remote ID rule. So if you don't have remote ID on on a new drone, you have to purchase um, an item – Mechan- or I don't know what it's called, but it goes on your drone and it tells where your drone is. Now, you do that anyway for on the drones you already have that for airports and and uh, police even, but they added this other one for the general public, so that's what we're a little nervous about, and it's coming into effect um, this year really strongly. So we'll all have so to be that- treated with this. People could uh, will know someone is shooting a drone, and then they can show up on your set because that is a set to you, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, I don't want to, you know, irk the FAA, but a lot of us are worried about that. <laughs> you know, uh, it's their expensive equipment, and also people come up, they don't know anything about us or what a drone is or the rules that we have to follow, and they start talking to you. Or they'll say, you're not allowed to fly your drone here. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to shoot that drone down. 
or they'll come with their dogs, which is a nightmare because dogs will run after the drones and you're trying to land, which has happened to me. Um, oh, great. And, oh. Right. And, and so you have to maintain your cool and your assistance. I usually have two or three people sometimes with those bigger jobs. Well, anything where I'm being hired, I will have at least two people. And one of them usually mitigates that kind of interference. The other one's watching um, the drone. So there's all kind of complications with disturbance while you're – there's no place you go in and there's ideal place to take off from. Not really. Right. You you have to find a place to take off from and and land. You have to find that yourself. You have to go scout the location and know exactly where you're going to shoot, right? Exactly. So even before uh, I sign with somebody, I want to see the place, I'll probably drive out or or do an aerial or Google Maps and see what it looks like um, to see if there's a spot we can safely operate. If it's not safe, I'm not doing it. Very simple. Right. Well, tell us what advice you would have for filmmakers who are writing scripts or imagining the visuals of their film. Should they include drone shots? And if so, why? Why do you think they they enhance films? Well, if you're doing a shot list, absolutely do, do um, an aerial shot list. Absolutely. And also... Well, yeah, I would... When you're I would think that somebody. they're so cheap nowadays re, re, compared to the helicopter fee that who wouldn't want that? You would think by this time people would all be hiring drone operators to and, and cinematographers for their films um, and it's still kind of new to a lot of people, which is surprising to me. But, yeah, if you hire a, like in the old days, a plane or a helicopter, you're talking a huge budget. And some, you know, if you're a Hollywood movie and you can afford that kind of millions and millions of dollars and you prefer that, good for you. But, you know, or you might want to, there's drones up to 55 pounds. I mean, that's, uh, there's different kinds of drones you, but they can all do, they can do the job. You don't need to really hire an airplane or aircraft or that, a manned aircraft at all. Right. Um, that is, this is really important information to filmmakers, uh, to for them to know about. So I'd love it if you'd tell us some about your current film that's in development, uh, your feature documentary, Always Here. Tell us about that. Well, Always Here is about the ongoing cultural decimation of Native American culture through the destruction of their ceremonial stone sites and artifacts. Wow. It's quite shocking, Um, and I started it because I saw a petition online where there was a 10,000-year-old site called the Skibiski site because it's owned by the people called Skibiski, and it's in Massachusetts. And um, they were doing a archaeological dig there and found out that there were artifacts of 10,000 years old. It was probably, um, in, the, in the opinion of Dr. Gramley, a paleontologist from Harvard, there was a village there many, many, many years ago. And so one would think we would try to preserve such a history. But um, Massachusetts Department of Transport wanted to, want to do a rotunda there, or what do you call that, rotary, um, for, for the cars. 
and that would destroy, you know, this this piece of history. So there was a petition, and 50,000 people signed it and stopped that from happening. Of Wonderful. Course, well, and guess what? They're trying again. They're no. trying again. Yes, and there have been so many sites destroyed. And what they do is they'll send archaeologists in, if it's federal land or federally funded, they'll go in to see if there is any kind of artifacts or and they don't even care about ceremonial stone landscapes in a lot of states, which is ridiculous because in Europe and Ireland, they all have some kind of stone landscapes, like Stonehenge, for instance. Well, yes. here, here in our country, um, no, that, you know, there's a lot of conflict over ceremonial stone landscapes, which is really uh, terrifying to me. So these, all these things are at risk, and there is more and more and more development and more of the history of Native Americans and of this country and the world are being destroyed. So that's what my movie's about. It's the movies and hopefully a series. You know, we'll do a documentary and a series, hopefully, because it is a lot to cover. That's fantastic. I really appreciate what you're doing because we need to save those. Can you imagine what we could learn about their life if we were allowed to keep it and keep studying it? Well, it's also, uh, you know, what more can you take from a people besides taking their land? I mean, when you destroy a person's history you're destroy a people's history, you're destroying those people. You're, you're, if they have no history, if they, it's really that's, it was, it was purposefully done, at some point where they were destroying all these things and and the, the places where they were living, and their sacred objects were burned. I mean, there there was a reason for that, and it has to do with something called the doctrine of discovery. That's the root of it all. Uh, in the 1400s, was a papal bull. And it said that these people are not human that you come upon, and that counted for people in Africa too, all indigenous people. If they didn't believe in God or they looked different, you could take their stuff, you can enslave them, and you can kill them, and you can, you know, just their stuff is yours. And wow. so that kind of mentality kind of is under is still around if you if you look what's happening. And and they just you know what happens here, and I don't want to go on about it because it's. It, it, the movie really is about trying to preserve and the people coming together right now uh, shoulder to shoulder to help save these ancient places for uh, Native American people to return and see, visit, um, do their ceremonies if they wish, you know, just have their their stuff back. Instead of being put in museums, they don't even have their stuff back. Now they have to return the bodies of Native Americans to Native Americans, but only on federal land, not private land. That's up to the. So there's all kinds of strange things that I'm learning as I'm going along. <laughs> I didn't oh, know. Oh my a lot goodness! <laughs> right, there's a lot to learn. Well, tell us about being accredited by the Center for Women's Global Leadership to attend the United Nations their Universal Period Review of Human Rights Violation in Geneva. I think you screened a testimony from footage from your work surrounding a castle in Brooklyn, right? Yes, and also from the one that From the Heart Productions has uh, declared hot film in the making, which is Blues of 475, 
part of that was also footage from it was also screened there um, because it's about displacement. And I met up with this wonderful woman, Shula Koenig, one of five Human Rights Award winners, um, who took me under her wing and taught me a lot about human rights and got me involved so that I was able to show pieces of my film to those people in, in Switzerland, in the United Nations. Um, it was for a special event, which was Universal Periodic Review of Human Rights Violations by the United States. Um, so basically, just so people could know the problems with housing and what was causing homelessness. And what I was presenting is called preemptive forced eviction because in both films, I present a situation where there's nothing to do with paying rent or or owing on your mortgage. It had to do with someone deems that your place is not safe. So if your place is unsafe, they can go there and you're out. And that's what happened to the people at 475 Kent um, on Martin Luther King's Day, coldest day in the year. Uh, police appeared at their door and, and the housing and every every kind of agency and told them they had five hours to leave. And they were out in the street with oh. nowhere to go, 300 families. Oh. oh, my goodness. Yes, so that's what my work's about. It's kind of not the most popular thing to talk about. Um, I realized that. And um, also, a, a Castle and King Arthur was the same kind of event where Arthur was you know, they came and dragged him out with his wife and put them in, in prison um, because he had a small fire on the top of his roof of his enormous building. It was put out. They were told they could go back in by the fire department then, but they decided the city or whoever, housing department, decided that, no, they couldn't do that. And he had to live outside his own home with his wife for three months in a Volkswagen and not even be able to go in his own home that he owned since the 70s. So this is the kind of things that I was covering. And both those films are sister films. The Castle and King Arthur and Blues of 475 started around the same time. Blues of 475 started in 2008 or 2009. And um, actually following two women, Connie Crothers, who is a famous jazz musician, and a sculptor, Deborah Masters. So we're basically following these people through their ordeal and their lives. So I really get into the life of an artist, the life of artists, and what it's like. But it's it's not a commercial film. It's really gritty, you know. But it's an honest film, and it's things we don't know about. You're exposing some inequities here. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, we well, let's get back to your company. I think the work you're doing is so important, and I it's very interesting how you're doing the drone work and also making films that shine light on important issues. But I know that um, your website states that you also provide PR services, creating visual and written content for media releases and presentations. So tell us about that. Well, our company started, we were doing theater, this is years ago, this company's been around for like 20 years when I got out of um, NYU, so we were doing PR for small businesses, we were doing PR for uh, a film, I think it was a uh, New York International Film and Video 
festival. We did their PR. We were doing PR here and there, and um, so we do it. If someone asks us to, you know, what do we do, we'll consult with them, um, try this. Right now we also did a um, PSA for Button Hook, which is a forest in Chappaqua, and we did that pro bono because they are about to, you know, destroy um, an important ceremonial stone landscape and also an environmental uh, treasure in Chappaqua. So we, we, we felt like doing it, and I did a PSA. So that, that's what we do. Um, and I do a lot of my own promotion, too. A lot of the stuff that is on the social media is from, from, from our own company. Oh, so that's people, great. But if need if people need to consult or find out what how do I how do I uh make my film shine or how do I get it out there um with hardly any money, well, you know, I can help them with that because my film is pretty prominent considering we didn't have a penny to do it. Yes, that's right. You know, we didn't have any money for a castle and King Arthur. <laughs> it was <That's> right. <laughs> Well, that's what it's all about, learning how to use all of the systems we have because this social media can be used to really market uh, niche market films like you have because there's a big market out there for your film. It's simply finding them and attaching them. Uh, So thank you for the services. Now tell us how people can get in touch with you and your company. Well, they can call us, well, they can email us and us at droneimagery at com. Okay, and Larage is spelled L-O-R-A-G-E. No. Well, when you do, you cannot put the hyphen when you're doing an email, so it's L-O-R-A-G-E dot com. Good, okay. So it's droneimagery at com, or they can go to the website and they can see some of the work we've done. Yes, and what is your website? It's uh, com forward slash S-U-A-S um, hyphen drone hyphen imagery. But if they put oh. a live drone imagery, they'll find it. Okay, and it's also on the Blog Talk page. Uh, we have a link to your website there for filmmakers. Oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. Right. Well, Claire and I thank you very much uh, for sharing all this wonderful information about drones. I've learned much more today than I've ever known before. I see how important it is to respect uh, your drone cinematographer and look for someone like you who knows what a shot list is and how to get the best images. Uh, So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much, Tyler, for this great information. And uh, I'm so proud of the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Uh, You guys have really, you've helped me very much. And um, the reason I got involved was because you've inspired me. In fact, I don't think I would have finished The Castle in Brooklyn, King Arthur, had I not won a book from you about visualizing um you know your your work your your dream and that really inspired me because mm-hmm. sometimes you can feel pretty 
lousy as a documentary filmmaker. It's pretty lonely and it's pretty, you know, it's discouraging. So it's good to have places and people that you can go to to encourage you beside your mom and sister and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tyler. I hope that you apply again to our other grants. We really like to hear and keep up with your work. Yes, I will do that. I've been kind of busy right now because we have shoots coming up already, but I would love to. Um, I have to actually have to raise more money and also learning about partnerships. Um, I have to learn more about that because there's been companies who have mentioned our film and I don't know how to really approach that. So um, I will bother you. I will. Okay. Please do, because strategic (laughs) partnerships will bring you money and audiences. They're in charge of the – you find the companies where your audience is, and by uh, becoming uh, a partner with them, you are entitled or they will allow you to contact their people or they do it for you so that you expand your audience. And that's really what you need to get more people involved because that brings money. Partnerships can end up being very financially good for documentaries. Well, I'd love to learn more, and I'm sure everybody would, because also how what's the paperwork involved? You know, very simple questions like that, like what what does it entail? And so, but I don't want to bother you right now. But those are something <laughs> the, okay. I was actually really curious about. <laughs> All right, well, we'll take care of. Well, I'll send you some information on that. Okay. Okay, Tyler, t- take good care and. Uh, and we hope to hear from you in this future that you continue to, that you finish these good new films you're working on. That's really important. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to stop. Yes. They'll be Great. done. <laughs> That's what it takes. Tenacity yes. is the backbone of the filmmaker. Right. So they thank you, Claire. Me, they don't call me Pitbull Chase or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you as well, Tyler. And uh, I think it would be great to have you back on when when you get further along with your other films that you're working on as well and talk about those too. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Okay. Best of luck. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Be well, everyone. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David 
R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.